Thank you, Devin. As you think about uh, God's gift to us, uh, there's so many gifts, and one is music and just the uh, creativity that we can express through instrument or through voice uh, to the praise of God. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be doing as much of a Bible study here in the message as, as kind of a preaching point, uh, because we're going to be looking back at the intent of the section we're going to be looking at. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 6, though we're not going to get there for a while, in which we see Jesus encountering uh, a people that uh, were mocking what he was doing, attacking what he was doing, not only what he was doing, but what he was having his followers do as well. And, and particularly, it was they thought that his followers and Jesus himself was not religious enough. Now think about that for a moment. Here we have the founder of Christianity, and of course we believe he's more than just a founder of some world religion, but saying you're, you're, you're not religious enough. Most people look at Christians and say, well, you're too religious. You think you're, you're, you're uh, God's gift to humanity. You are self-righteous. You're holier than we are, and therefore you are always condemning us. And, and really the attack of Jesus was that you're not religious enough, and, and really they didn't think he was holy enough and righteous enough. And the reason was because they weren't conforming to their standard of how a rabbi ought to live, particularly one that was influencing not only a select group like the Twelve, but the masses that were come to him. And uh, and they they were just angry at what he was doing, so they were always looking for ways to trip him up and to attack him and and somehow diminish the authority of his message. Well, really that speaks to the heart of what we're going to talk about today, because as we mentioned before, this is a pretty big book, right? And as we think about this pretty big book that doesn't have a lot of pictures in it, and if you ever wonder why we put pictures in our bulletin, because some of you don't read the, the words, you have to look at the pictures to figure out what the announcements are. I'd encourage you to, to look at all what's in the bulletin. But there isn't a lot of pictures here. And you're thinking, well, am I supposed to master everything in this book? And, and that would be a great goal. But if you if you somehow master the content without understanding the meaning, then you've, you've really wasted your time. And so he spoke to people who knew this book well, particularly, uh, obviously the New Testament wasn't written at that time, um, but they didn't get it. And sometimes we go back and we don't get it as well. And so this series in the book of Luke is all about the truth, because that's where Luke was motivated to, by the Spirit of God to write, I want you to know the exact truth about Jesus. And you could add everything else, the exact truth about Jesus and everything else he taught. And so this morning we're going to try to d- challenge the, the truth about the Sabbath, or the truth about the Mosaic Law. What, what really are we to be accountable to in terms of what was in the first two-thirds of this book? Is it still for us today? Well, let's, uh, let's kind of surround this with looking at some big-picture ideas. First of all, I want to say this. All of God's words inspired. Sometimes we look at the red letter edition and sometimes we think, you know, the words of Jesus are more important than the words that are not printed in red. I don't believe that. And the reason I don't believe that, and if you've ever been in a small group with me, someone makes a statement, I say, well, where in the Word of God does it say that? Can you give me chapter or verse? I mean, that's a good opinion, but where in the Bible does it say that? Well, if, if somehow you think the red-letter parts of the Bible are more important, then, then you're going to have to struggle with a clear statement uh, in the New Testament that says all Scripture is inspired by God. All of it. 
And you can't get any better than being inspired, which means God breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So all of God's Word is, has, it, it has its value and importance because it's inspired. But that being the case, and this is why sometimes you know, we look at the, the words of Jesus being more important because they're more directed, um, is that we need to be diligent to be careful to study, to show ourselves approved to God as a workman who is not ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. So it's one thing that's all inspired, but all of it has its particular meaning that God wants us to understand. So I put it this way, all, all of God's word is inspired, but, but read it all carefully. Now what, what that means, or to put it in a creative way, I just stole this from somebody, that means all of God's word is instructive, but not all of it is imperative. Now, what that means, that's kind of like an English class. We say all of it has, has material that will cause us to learn certain things that are good for us, but it doesn't mean that everything that we read is something for us to do. That makes sense? Same idea. All is informative. We get information, but not all of it is normative uh, because it was... N- it was something a group of people were to do in another period of time. doesn't mean that's what we're supposed to do today. It's not normative for every time. All is descriptive, descriptive of what God has done and maybe even what God will do, but not all is prescriptive. It's not something you're supposed to now plug in and play for your own life. And, and we, we, if we just thought for a moment, we'd say, well, yeah, that's obvious, isn't it? If you were to, uh, to go to the Sea of Galilee and you go to the same place that the disciples got on a boat and went fishing with, and, and all of a sudden um, various experiences happen. But I dare say, if you, if you do that, I, I would not recommend you jump out of the boat and try to walk on the what? On the water. You know, that was for Peter. That's not for us. Okay? God could allow us to walk on the water, but he hasn't told us. That's not, we're not seeing Jesus walk across the water and supposed to respond to that. If you go to the Red Sea, I would not encourage you to pick up a stick and call it a staff and raise it up and try to part the what? Part the Red Sea. Don't part the waters. That, that wasn't for you. It's not normative for you. It's not prescriptive for you. It's not imperative. It's not a command for you to do. He told Moses to do that. He didn't tell you to do that. And, and so that's obvious, but sometimes as simple as that is, we, we look back at the Old Testament and we think everything in there is something we're supposed to do. Well, uh, I dare say, hopefully, that as we go through this study this morning, you'll see that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, as I say this, I, I want to make a qualification. And anytime I preach or teach, you don't have to buy what I say. And it's not for sale, it's for free. But I mean, you don't have to agree with what I teach. I only want you to agree with it because you're convinced this is what the Bible says, and that's what it means. But l- let me state it as graphically as possible. I'm going to say this plainly before. I am convinced that we are not to look at the Ten Commandments as something that is for us today. I don't think any of the commandments in the Old Testament on the Mosaic Law is for us today. Not any of them. Not any of them. Now, the reason I say that, and sometimes people break the Old Testament law and, and the Mosaic Law in this way, it's there is the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. And I actually have taught that many times. And and and. And I believe that is true in terms of understanding it. But as we're going to see what 
God says plainly in the New Testament, we are no longer under any of it. Now, why is that important for us to realize? Well, we'll hopefully answer that later on, but let me just put it this way. Many of you, if you've been in church for any length of time, maybe you made it a goal, or maybe you were uh, in a class where they encourage you to, to, to attempt this, is to, to memorize the, how many, uh, how many, the Ten Commandments. Anybody ever, you know, made that a goal, at least to memorize some of them, and you thought that was a pretty good thing to do. And it is a good thing to do, because all of Scripture is inspired, all of it's informative, all of it's instructive. But, but I, wa- I want to say to you, there, there are Ten Commandments in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. But that wasn't all the commandments in the Old Testament under Mosaic law. There were 613. And if you're going to memorize the 10, why'd you stop there? You got 603 more to memorize. 248 positive and 365 negative. Now, some of you might be getting a little uncomfortable here. Hopefully, this is going to come together toward the end. So don't, don't leave yet, all right? But, but I want to tell you, that I think it's plain that we're no, under, no longer under the law of the Old Testament. We're no longer under the law of Moses. Romans 15.4 says that the Word of God, all the Word of God, is for our instruction and our encouragement that we might have hope. But that doesn't mean everything in the Old Testament is applied to us. I'm, I'm going to shotgun here a little bit. Uh, for instance... It doesn't mean we can't have rules or things that we say, well, I, I kind of like that in the Old Testament, but it's not, it's not something that we have to do. When my kids were growing up, um, we live in the era now where, where getting tats, you know, is, is more culturally acceptable, okay? And, uh, you know, I, I made a rule in our house, you can get tats as soon as you get out of our house, all right? But the reason I... I, I I did that was not because I was trying to apply a passage in Leviticus to my kids. I'm just saying, uh, I don't think it's necessarily wise for you to get tatted up when you're in my house. If you want to do it when you get out of my house, that's your opinion, that's your desire, then go ahead and do it. But it's not because you're obeying the law of the Old Testament, because it might not be the wisest thing to what? To do. So there's a difference about why we do what we do. We don't Pick and choose in the Old Testament which of the 613 we're going to obey and which of the 613 we're going to choose not to obey because we arbitrarily decide this applies today and this does not apply today. That makes sense? Okay. So why did, why did Jesus came? What did, why did, what did Jesus do as a relationship to the law? Let's be very plain. Matthew 5, 17 and 18 says this. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to what? Fulfill. Why did Jesus come to law? Uh, to, what did Jesus come to do with the law? He came to fulfill it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So he came to to deal with the with the law, what God had written in the past, and I'm gonna I'm gonna complete it. I'm gonna fulfill it. You know, until it's all accomplished. And and let me be plain here. The fundamental thing that Jesus did, which is so illustrative in what Jesus did on the cross as we approach Good Friday and Easter, is that he fulfilled all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And instead of sacrifices being needed to be um, done repetitively, he was the once and for all sacrifice for all of our sins. So as we look at that, that makes a, a, a... a distinction in terms, okay, what is our attitude to the law? Our attitude to the law is that Jesus fulfilled the law. 
Well, well let's, let's see if, if the Scripture is even clear in terms of what was the purpose of the law. What do we know about the Mosaic Law, which includes the Ten Commandments and the Sabbath? Uh, Romans 3.20 says something pretty plainly in terms of what the law was for. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, uh, you could even back up to verse 19 if you want. It says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. So the law was written in a clear way so that people realize this is what God expects in terms of what is right and wrong. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For though the law, through the law comes the knowledge of what? Sin. So why did, why did God give the law to Moses? So his people might know without a shadow of doubt or controversy or debate what is right and what is wrong. So it is the law who teaches us what sin is. And also he, he said, by the way, is you're not going to be able to obey it perfectly. And because you're not being able to obey it perfectly, you'll realize that you can't be justified uh, through your own works. Does that make sense? Secondly, it is the law that convinces us we need a Savior. Galatians 3.24 says this, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Okay, what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is that, that we needed some help uh, to know what really needed to happen in our lives. And what we needed to learn is that we couldn't save ourselves. We needed someone to save us, right? And that person who needed to save us was the one who was promised to come for us. And that is that the anointed one, the Meshua, the Messiah. It is for the purpose to say, you can't do it on your own. You need someone to help you. You need a Savior. Thirdly, it is the law whose purpose is completed. Galatians 3, 25 and 26. And verse 25 comes right after verse... 24, just seeing if you're listening, okay, it says this, but now, verse 24, we find out it's a tutor to lead us to Christ, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And who is that tutor? The law. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So, you know, once you learn the material, you don't need someone else to keep teaching that same material because you now got it. And the law was our teacher to bring us to Christ. But let's look at it even more plainly in uh, point number four. It is the law we are no longer under, but it's God's grace. Romans 6.14. For sin should not be master over you, for you are not under what? Law, but under grace. Now, I don't know how more plainly God could inspire the Apostle Paul to say, I want you to understand this external list of commandments that was given to Moses, you're not under anymore. You're under God's grace, His unmerited favor, His ability to, to draw you out of your sin, forgive your sin, and enable you to live the life you're called to live. Romans 7, 6 says it this way, but now we have been released from the law. Now, again, just think of these word pictures. If you were chained from something, you would have to be set what? Free. We were chained to the law, which says, you, you have to approach me through following all these commandments. 613, not just 10, 613. And he said, I want you to understand, that experiment for you was an experiment in failure. But it was a purposeful failure, because I wanted you to be convinced that you couldn't do it. And when Christ came, what he did is he took that chain, and he, and he, he released him. He took off the chain. 
For you have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound. And so he uses another word picture. If you're going to follow something, you better be alive, because if you're, if you're dead, you can't follow it, right? He said, you are now dead to that which you were called to live out. And a dead person can't live out that. There's a longer word picture here as he, as he talks about marriage. And if, if your life partner is, is no longer alive, then you have no obligations to that life partner who no longer lives, right? You don't get up in the early morning and fix them breakfast or lunch. Or you don't go out and do things. If they're, they're no longer there. You have no responsibility to a spouse that's no longer there. I mean, you love them. You care about them. And, and you grieve over them. Um, but they're now hopefully in heaven. And, and he said, you, you have been released from that. You, you can't live uh, uh, for them anymore. So we serve now in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. There's a contrast here. Either you're going to be living back uh, to that which you were tied to, bound to, chained to, or you're going to now go on to that which is new, which is now a spirit relationship with God. And then he goes on and says, okay, I want you to understand, or there's another way you look at it, is, is you think of all those 613 commandments, really all of them can be summarized in one word. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, and he actually uses more than one word, but I think the emphasis was in one of the words in the sentence he, he, he states in his book that's uh, written by the Apostle Paul to the Galatians, which is all about understanding our relationship to the law. He says this, for you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a revealed will for us in the New Testament, but it's not based on the Mosaic law. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What, what's the one word that summarizes all the, the law? It's love. So as you think about the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, Jesus came to fulfill all of that which was given as a picture to lead us to him. And when the purpose was completed, fulfilled, there is no longer an accountability to the, the law of the Old Testament. So, so what are we responsible for? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And here you'll, you'll have a personal testimony. Sometimes when we we hear people speak or they give theory. We're saying, I, I get what you're saying, but I can't visualize it. Well, here Paul puts him as an example of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. Now, what he's saying there on a practical basis, and there's, there's nothing wrong with having rules and regulations or things that you that you decide, I'm going to live by this. But it's, it's different than when you impose it on somebody else and say, this is the only way you can live. This is, you got to live like I live in every detail of life. You understand the difference there? Paul says, I am voluntarily restricting my freedom for the purpose of influencing somebody else in a positive way. You know, as a parent, uh, there, there were freedoms I could have exercised as a parent with my four kids, but I choose, chose to restrict my freedoms because I knew that what I legally was allowed to do, they were not legally allowed to do. So I wouldn't do the things that they, they could not do. And most of those things I didn't want to do anyway, so I've just kept that way. But I would limit my freedom because I want to have a positive influence on somebody else. But it did not necessarily make my kids 
uh, better because I had some external rules and regulations. They fought against those often. But I'm saying, I'm doing this because I think this is a wise way to live. But it's not, it's not the law of, of God. It's, it's the law of the Johnson family. You, you, remember, that? you remember those kind of, this is, I don't know how it, why everybody else does it, but this is what they're doing in our house. But that's different than when we impose this is what God says you ought to do or not do. Okay? But he voluntarily restricted himself. Verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew. And was Paul Jewish, ethnically? Yeah. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he said, I don't really identify myself as a Jew now, but a follower of Jesus. So that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. I kept using that phrase, under the law, under the law, under the law. He says, I am personally going to restrict my behavior to that which was in the Old Testament, so I don't put up this wall so that people won't even listen to me. I'll go to their synagogues on Saturday. I'll, I'll limit what I eat, make sure it's kosher. Not because I have to, but because I choose to for the purpose of influencing someone in a positive way. Does that make sense? But then he goes on, he says this, but I'm, I'm trying to be concerned about not only people who, who restrict their freedom based on the Mosaic law, I also want to reach people who don't uh, have to be under the law. Verse 21, to those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of what? Christ, or the law of love there, but so that I might win those who are without law. Now, again, Paul often, often likes, writes like a lawyer, Warren, but, uh, you know, you, you have to look at every phrase over and over and over. What in the world is he saying? But he's saying it pretty simply there. Look at But there are people who are not under the law. In fact, really no one is really under the law. They just think they are. But what I'm going to do is, is live in such a way and, and try to reach the people who, who don't identify the, with the Mosaic law. But I want you to let you know that I, I, don't, I can't just do whatever I want. Because there's a different law I live by. It's the law of Christ. And, and the reason I belabor that is we think about, well, how do we live now? If we don't have to follow the Old Testament law or even the Ten Commandments, what we do is we follow the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. That's who we follow, the law of Christ. And actually, in the New Testament, it's said in a variety of different ways. Uh, we won't turn to the passage, but in James 1.25 and James 2.8, uh, the, the Christian lives by the perfect law, the law of liberty, the royal law, the law of our king. That's who we follow. We follow Jesus as our leader. Or to put it another way, we follow the commandments taught by Jesus and by his disciples in the New Testament. What we are compelled to, to follow is a person, Jesus. But, but Jesus has given us you know, the red letter editions, the, the, the writings of the apostles and the epistles and the letters in the New Testament, so that we might flesh out what it means to live compelled by love. What, what will that look like? Now, there are some things in the Old Testament that are repeated in the New Testament. Those things we're accountable to. But those things that are not brought from the Old Testament into the New Testament, we are not accountable to. And you know the Ten Commandments, the most obvious one that's not repeated in the New Testament is the law concerning the Sabbath. There is nothing in the New Testament that teaches us that we are to observe a Sabbath. Now, you might be thinking I'm only talking about people who are Seventh-day Adventists, or there actually a, there's a group of people called Seventh-day Baptists. I, I'm not just talking about people who like to worship on Saturday. 
I'm, I'm talking about anybody who, who takes the, the Old Testament and says that applies to us in terms of the specific commandments because the only way you can make that work is to pick and choose. Remember in our, in our country where there used to be blue laws on, on, uh, on Sunday? And somehow what, what people do in it from a governmental perspective, they said, well, the Sunday is now the Christian Sabbath. And what I would say, well, like I would say to anybody else, where in the Bible does it teach that? Where in the New Testament does it say the Sunday is now the Sabbath? And if you're trying to think right now through the pages of your brain, thinking about there aren't any verses that say that. In fact, even the opposite of that. Now, if someone wants to restrict what they do on the day they worship, that's fine. Okay, but that's not the law of God to do. Does that make sense? Well, uh, you have to have verse and chapter in, in place where it says that, or you're imposing something that God does not impose. Now, God wants us to obey Him. Jesus wants to obey Him. John 14, 21, the references there. He who has my commandments and, and obeys them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will disclose myself to him. So when we follow Jesus' teaching, our relationship with God is enhanced and deepened. But don't add to God's law and don't impose God's law that is not taught by Jesus or his disciples. Now, how far away did the Pharisees of that day get in terms of trying to impose a Sabbath on people? How did they they get there? And and what's going to happen with that? I want to make one other statement before I illustrate that. Are we required to keep the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, or the rest of the Mosaic Law? My understanding is, and I have conviction here, the simple answer is no. We are not under the Ten Commandments or any other 603 commandments in the the Old Testament. We can be instructed by it. We can be informed by it. There are some examples there. We can reflect on it, but we are not called to obey it. We are called to obey the law of Christ, the royal law, the law of liberty, the law of our king. Let me illustrate that. And when we look at an external law of the Old Testament, and just to be honest, who was the father of the, the, uh, the nation of Israel? Abraham. Did Abraham receive the law? I mean, here we have the father of the nation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never followed the Mosaic law. Never. They never had to obey the Sabbath. Now, some people look back and say, well, how about in Genesis it says there was a Sabbath. There's, ne- there's not a commandment to keep the Sabbath. Is, is there value of setting aside a day to rest? Is there a, a value to set aside a day to, to worship God in a corporate setting? Yes. But it's not because God has identified a specific day for you to do it. And when we put what is in the Old Testament or add to that which is in the Old Testament and say this makes me more spiritual or makes me right before God, we miss it. Well, let me just read some passages in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 5, we have this. You foolish Galatians, you foolish people who are going to church, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed or crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit, which is your relationship with God, by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Of course, the answer was very simple. It wasn't the works of the law. We received Christ by faith. 
Well, having begun by the Spirit, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And see, sometimes people get this. They get, they get justification right, but they get sanctification wrong. Now, I just threw out a couple of religious words. The justification is that place in which you cross the line from knowing about God to knowing God, with being aware of your sin and having your sin dealt with. When we're justified, we're declared righteous by God when we place our faith in Jesus, when we place our faith in God. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned or accounted to him as righteousness. And he believed everything that God had revealed about him. That made him righteous. It wasn't by the obedience of the law. So some people, okay, I get it. We're, we're, we're saved by believing in Jesus and, and, and Jesus alone, by Christ alone, by faith alone. But then all of a sudden they say, well, now, but if you're really saved, then you've got to obey all these laws that we're putting together, that we're putting in the, Old, in the Old Testament and anything else we might add to it. If you didn't come to faith that way, what makes you think you're going to get perfected that way? It just doesn't work that way. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, or listen as I'm racing through this this morning. Galatians 4, 9 through 11. You, you have um, Paul writing this to the, the church at Galatia and the surrounding areas. He, he, he says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, it's God's act that brings us into relationship with Him, how is it that you turn back against the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Why are you going back to Egypt? Why are you going back to external laws? You observe Days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. If you, if you fall back in, in trying to impress God by adhering to uh, all the Mosaic law, you've missed it. Because the law was fulfilled in Christ. The law was a purpose to lead you to Christ. The law's purpose to, was to clearly convince you that you are sinful. The law was, was clearly brought to you to the point where you realize that You've got to depend upon him and not yourself. But let me just read one other passage. Are we to obey the Sabbath, whether we call Sunday the Sabbath or whether we call Saturday the Sabbath? Are we to obey that? Well, look at, um, look at what Colossians 2.16 says. You can't get much more plainer than this, though. I have read people who, who somehow want to change the clear, clean and clear reading of Scripture. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to a food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. I was sharing the first one. The, the reason I set aside a, a day to worship is because not because I have to observe a Sabbath. The reason I set aside a day to worship is because that's what's good for me. I, I need to set aside a day to reflect purposely on God, with God's people. But it's not because I'm observing a Sabbath. It's not because I, I say one day is more important than another day in terms of because it's on a certain time of the calendar week. We, by practice from the early church, have often done it on, on Sunday because it's kind of a day to remember the, the resurrection of Christ. But it could be done on either day if you look at Romans 14. The issue is doing that which is good and that which is is honored by God, but it's not a legal requirement. Does that make sense? 
And I make that a habit. I, you know, I was asking somebody, you know, you know why, why do I come on Sunday? Because you guys pay me to come on Sunday. That's why I come. No. Why do I come on Sunday? Because, because I want to draw close to God. And, and, and I do it when I don't get paid. When, when I'm on vacation with my kids, you know, we find a church on, on Sunday. And if we don't, can't find a church, we, we play church. You know, I say, everybody get their Bibles and we're, we're going to have a time of worship. And we wouldn't have to do it on a Sunday, but we want to set aside a time when we're gone to, to reflect upon the Lord. It's not because I have to, it's because I want to, or if I'm not motivated, because let's be honest, sometimes we don't, we're not always motivated to do what we know is good, right? Did you all raise your hand? Okay, I'm not all like, oh, I'm going to do, you know, sometimes, sometimes we're excited about doing it, sometimes we just do it because it's good for me to do it. It's, it's, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, it's good to reflect upon the Lord. But it's not a legal requirement. Does that make sense? Not, you know, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So you want to do that, which is profitable. So the answer to that is, is no. How, how far did they get away from this? Because the problem is, if you go back in the Old Testament and you start trying to obey its commandments, you have to figure out which of the 613 you're still going to obey. And then if you obey them, how do you really obey them? How do you know you really, really kept the Sabbath day holy? Right? That's, that's a pretty broad description. You know, honor, honor God on the Sabbath. Well, they, they went to great lengths to kind of teach you how to honor, honor the Lord on the Sabbath. Let me give you some of them. You know, on the Sabbath, something lifted up in a public place can only be set down in a private place. Otherwise, you broke the Sabbath. An object tossed in the air, this is one I really like, could be ta- caught with the same hand, throw it in the air, catch it with your left hand, but if somehow you caught it with your right hand, you broke the Sabbath. If a person had reached out to pick up one food when the Sabbath began, the food had to be dropped. To bring the arm back while holding the food would be to carry a burden on the Sabbath. It was forbidden to carry an, anything heavier than a dried fig. Though something weighing half as much could be carried two times. A tailor could not carry his needle, a scribe his pen, or a student his books. Only enough ink to write two letters of the alphabet could be carried. Why? Because you'd be doing work. A letter could not be sent, not even with a non-Jew. Clothes could not be examined or shaken out. This is crazy. Clothes could not be examined or shaken out before being put on because an insect might be killed in the process, which would be work. No fire could be lit or put out. Cold water, I don't know why. uh, Cold water could be poured into warm water, but not warm into cold. An egg could not be cooked, not even by placing it in hot sand during the summer. Nothing could be sold or bought. Bathing was forbidden, lest water be spilled on the floor and wash it. Even if you didn't wash it, it just got spilled there. Moving a chair was not allowed since it might make a rut in a dirt floor, which was too much like plowing. Women were, this is, I'll, leave, I'll finish with this one. Women were forbidden to look in a mirror. And you're saying, why would that be? Since if they saw white hair, they might be tempted to pull it out. <laughs> See, see, the problem with obeying the Mosaic law is, okay, how do you fully, fully obey it? You can't. And that's why it was given. So you might realize you can't measure up to God's standard or any other standards you might put into practice. So how did, how did, Jesus, how did Jesus handle this in his day? And now we get back to Luke for the next seven minutes, all right? Luke chapter 6. I mentioned to you, the biggest accusation that 
the religious crowd had about Jesus, he wasn't religious enough. The, the biggest accusation by the religious crowd is that he wasn't righteous enough. As we looked at last week, you remember, you're having too much fun. If you're really holy, you're not having fun. I, I, was, uh, I, was, I was reading about was one person who was trying to figure out, well, on the Sabbath, and actually his Sabbath was Sunday, and the blue laws and, and all those things. And the question was, well, could you ride a bike to church or could, did you have to walk? And they were wrestling with that issue, and finally this was their conclusion. Well, you can ride your bike to church, but you can't enjoy it. <laughs> you know, it was like the, the Lord's Day or Sabbath Day is any day you, you, can, you can do as far as going in the house of God, but anything else you can't enjoy. And, and they accused Jesus and his followers of saying, you're having too good a time because you, you party with people. You celebrate life. You go in their homes and you eat and enjoy what they put on the table and feast with them. And why aren't you like us that fast? I showed you, I showed you last week. They, they would add to the Word of God. And so what they decided to do is they would fast two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Now, if you didn't eat two days a week and you saw other religious people eating all the time, you'd either say, either I want to join that crowd or that crowd must be doing it wrong, right? There was only one time that fasting was required was on the Day of Atonement. Now, again, if you think the Mosaic Law is for you, how many of you actually even know when the Day of Atonement is every year? And how many of you are actually fasting? Now, some people are really big into Lent. You know, are you observing Lent as we go into this Easter season? If you want to observe Lent, fine, but I, it, it, Lent is not in the Bible, and if, if you restrict whatever you do because you think it causes you to think more about Jesus, you're, you have the freedom to do that. You just don't impose that on somebody else. See, and that's what you have to do to be close to Jesus. Does that make sense? Because, you know, there's a lot of things that we could go back in the Old Testament. Why aren't you doing this and this and this and this? And some of the traditions we have, even from church history, aren't in the Bible. Okay? So how did Jesus deal with it? And, and basically, I'm going to answer two questions. Basically, what Jesus, he, 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 he answered this. Who gets to decide what happens on the Sabbath? And then secondly, who was to benefit on the Sabbath day? Now, it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath. And his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing their hands, and eating the grain. So they, they were hungry. They grabbed some grain, started to rub it, and they popped it in their mouth. I guess it's kind of like eating, you know, uh, granola or something like that. So they, they, were, they were able to kind of get some sub... Yeah, whatever that word is. Okay, sustenance, okay, by just messing around with the grain. Now, the, the Pharisees thought, well, no, you can't do that because you're what? You're working on the Sabbath. And, of course, Deuteronomy 23.25 says, look, you can do that. You can, you can take stuff off, off the, the edges of someone's uh, uh, farm and, and get food for it. But they go on and says, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And, of course, that would say... Jesus, something wrong with you because you're breaking God's law. And Jesus said, I didn't come to break the law. I came here to fulfill it. And Jesus answering them said, have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. So really going back to the very beginning of what we talked about, all of God's words inspired, but you better read it pretty carefully. He's going to refer to a story that they knew well. They knew, he, they knew this story about David needing food for his companions. 
Don't you remember when he was hungry and those were with them, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and gave it to his companions? And so Jesus didn't even, didn't even respond to their, their accusation that they were breaking the command by, by taking the grain and rubbing it to the point where they could eat it because that was lawful. So he said, let me, let me go back to the Bible story, which actually one of your heroes, King David, broke the law. But did he really break the law is what he's saying. Because then he goes on and he was saying, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. See, the Pharisees wouldn't go back to the Old Testament story and say that King David broke the law because they saw David in a position of, of authority in the kingdom. And if anyone can make exceptions, the, the king can. And so they didn't see it as sinful for the King David. And he said, if, if somehow you approve that, which actually was a breaking of the law, maybe you don't understand the Lord, the laws of the Sabbath. Not only all the ones you add to it, but even the ones that are in the Scripture. Because he said, look at the one who makes the rules about the Sabbath can change the rules about the Sabbath. Wouldn't that be true? Now, maybe this is a guy illustration, but I remember uh, sometimes when, when we would have uh, games. and it, 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 When I was growing up, you didn't always you know, have a field with a uniform on and it had all the referees and umpires and things like that. If we wanted to play a baseball game or if we wanted to play football or basketball, we just went to a park or we went to a lawn or something like that. But do you know who got to make the rules? The guy who brought the ball, right? You know, it's my ball. If you don't like the way you want to play, you can go home, right? And that's what he was saying here. <laughs> I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And just like you saw that King David was the Lord of the kingdom uh, that was in Israel at that time, he, he got to decide whether this really was okay. And, and so you've missed it. And you need to understand that who gets to decide what happens on the Sabbath? God does. And as we think about today, God has not told us in the New Testament that we are to observe the Sabbath. Now, if you want to worship on Saturday, that's fine. Just don't say everyone has to worship on Saturday. If you want to worship on Sunday, worship on Sunday. But don't tell everybody they have to worship on Sunday. And if you decide not to have tats all over your arms, say, I decided not to have tats. But don't say because the law told me not to have tats. Or as the Old Testament talks about, there's certain ways you can cut your beard or not cut your beard. And if you want to cut it a certain way, uh, fine. But don't say it's because it's in Leviticus. Say because I don't want to cut it that way. Because God has not imposed it in the New Testament. God makes the decision about what we do anytime, any place. And when Jesus came, he set the law of liberty. He set the, the, the law of, uh, of the king because he was the king. Does that make sense? That's what he was telling them. And then he goes on and says this. Uh, on another Sabbath, he, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath, so they might find reason to accuse him. So they, they weren't looking for Jesus to do something good on the Sabbath. They were looking for Jesus to do something that they could catch him doing that they thought was wrong. But he knew what they were thinking. Don't you hate that about some people? Man, they know exactly what you're thinking. They catch you on it. Well, Jesus did that every time. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or destroy it? Now, often Jesus would ask questions that no one really could, what? Answer. And it wasn't because it was a lack of information or they were, he was talking about a 
a field of, of expertise that they weren't cognizant of. He would ask questions they knew, if I answer it this way, I'm in deep water, and if I answer it this way, I'm in deep water. If he says it's all right to do good, good, then we're not going to catch him healing on the Sabbath. If we say um, you can't do good, then, then um, we're going to be shown what our heart is really like. We're self-centered, and we don't care about people. We just care about our lists. So they don't answer him. Verse 10, after looking at them all, he said, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage, which literally means they were out of their mind. It really comes from a word that means no mind. And discussed together what they might do to Jesus. What did Jesus do here? He taught plainly in the first point, who gets to decide? The Lord of the Sabbath gets to decide what's right to do. And secondly, who was to benefit on the Sabbath day? The people the Sabbath day was made for. Uh, put in your, I have it in your outline. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Which means, uh, look, at the, the reason the Sabbath was, even in the Old Testament, was so good things could happen to God's people. There's a principle. Uh, some people say today, and, and how they teach it to me is either really helpful or it's not helpful. Is it good for us to, to have a Sabbath, which simply means to cease or desist or have rest? Is it good for us to have rest at times? Raise your hand like you like to, have, you like to take a nap, okay? Is it good for us to take a nap at times? Is it good for us to, to break up our patterns? We're not workaholics. We're not, you know, 24-7 type people. Well, yeah. We all need rest. That, that was true example of, of God creating. God didn't get tired when he created the universe, he rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but he wanted to set the example. It's good for us to take a break. But, but do we do it because we're observing a certain day? The answer to that is no. We're doing it because it's just good for us. The Sabbath was always for that which was good in people's life. But they had taken that which was good and said, no, you've got to stop your activity. You can't have fun on this day. You can't do anything you enjoy on this day. You can't do anything that might help somebody else. And they missed it. They totally missed it. And that's why the Old Testament is so clearly explained in the New Testament. And what we're to do, we're, we are to be about doing that which is good. And the Sabbath principle is if you need a rest, take a rest. But you don't have to identify a certain day. Don't let anybody tell you to observe a Sabbath, a particular day. So, so what's the point this morning? What, what's the so What? A word of the heart, and this is, this is what they missed, is that Jesus is good. See, the Pharisees didn't think Jesus was good because they thought he was ruining everything they had taught and believed in, and, and they were a threat to him, and they missed the goodness of God. Isn't that a great truth? Man was not made for the Sabbath. Man was not made to do something religious or just to be religious. But the Sabbath, a rest, was made for us. They missed the goodness of God. They missed the goodness of Jesus. He did good in that which was done on that day. Secondly, for our head, we need to always be convinced that Jesus only can make us good. And see, that's the problem of approaching the Old Testament law today is that we think through our self-efforts, even if it's after we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we, we, we become gooder 
That, I know that's not correct, you know, you know language, but it, we think we're, we're gooder if somehow we obey the law. We're not going to get gooder by obeying the law. We become more good in our relationship with God by obeying his commandments, but it's not because he's imposed them on uh, from an external perspective, but he's written on our hearts. Does that make sense? So Jesus is good. Jesus only can make us good. And then our hands, Jesus leads us to do good. How do we know if we really get it? We get it when we realize he has set us free, not only experience his goodness and to be made good, but now we are prepared to do good to others. And the reason we know, one of the reasons we know the Pharisees got it wrong because they weren't doing good, right? They weren't doing good, and yet they thought they knew the God who is good. But what they thought was good was their manufacturing all the other things about what could or could not be done. This, even on a, on a particular day of the week, Sabbath day, and they missed it. So as we leave this place, let's remember that Jesus is good. He makes us good. And we're set free to do good. Let's pray together. Father, I just really pray that we might be people that get it. It's so easy to, to be informed but not be really instructed on what is really clear from what your word says. And Father, I pray that if there's anything I've said that it's not what your word teaches us, might that just be taken from our hearts and minds. But if you've come to set us free, to, to know that you're good and you make us good and do good, help us leave this this day, compelled to notice people and then do good for them. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's stand as we sing this morning.